Hi, I'm Johnny Pollard and welcome to episode 9 of the One Giant Mind podcast. In this episode, we're going to continue our conversation with Kenny, who brought up some really powerful points about the concept of faith and how we show up in the world in the previous episode. In this one, we continue the conversation where he asks the question, how in the face of being so overwhelmed by information and stimulation, do we remain connected to this place that I'm referring to as being, where our expression of our true self emerges from? And uh, we really unpack it. So uh, let's dive in. Your response to my question about faith leads me to another question about the same thing, but just in a slightly different way, which is, you know, how do we recognize and know when the equation adds up? And so, you know, you had mentioned self-awareness. So one, is that the definition of self-awareness? Like understanding that all these things have come together and I now can embody that and feel that kind of with the confidence that it's true and I'm being true to myself and to the world. Um, and, and I asked this, you know, not so much for myself, but um, for young people really, because you know, I've been raising a son now for a while and you're constantly challenged with these things because you see the world through their eyes and, you know, it's a very data-driven world. Like he's experiencing a very data-driven world. We have these devices which are just constantly sending information, which is data, 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 data. And he's constantly asking me for concrete answers, right? What is one plus one? Two, right? And you're not really answering questions that way, but you can't, right? So how do we be okay with that? How do we understand these things? And I guess, you know, to a lesser extent, do you kind of see the same thing I'm seeing in this kind of about data? And um, to just add another layer to this, you know, I see this in every level of society, you know, whether it's business and economics, which are kind of very forefront, they're all data driven. Mm -hmm. Their decisions are based on data, not people. They might say the marketing is about people, but it's all data. You know, you've got companies like Facebook and Google. What are they doing? Data, 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 data. It just happens to be personal data. And so, you know, we're challenged with kind of swimming through this sea of all this information, which is pushing us towards a data-driven response. So how do you contend with that? Is it self-awareness, right? And I think... All that, all that information brings us farther away from ourselves. At least it is for me. You know, like if I don't just turn off sometimes and I do a lot, I lose myself completely. You know, I, I could just dive in and just see all this information and you can get lost in it. Um, that was a beautifully structured question. Yeah, so. And what you're asking is a, is a very subtle and to some very abstract um, you're, you're revealing something that is very subtle and abstract and is elusive to most people. And I hope that I can do justice to the great question with a, a great answer. We are on the precipice of a paradigm shift in terms of the way that we relate to ourselves as human beings, the context by which we relate to the human experience and the value of our humanity. 
So a paradigm shift implies that the, the dimensions by which we identify with ourselves are going to change. The change is characterized, as far as I'm concerned, with increased layers of information that operate simultaneously with our current model. The shift doesn't imply the abandonment of the way we see the world, but an inclusion of something deeper and subtler that turns that current paradigm into something new by virtue of it including something else. What's the something else? Our humanity. What you're describing is a world that transacts on information about behavior, tendencies, that doesn't consider the source of the behavior, the needs of the source of the behavior, what causes that source to flourish. In fact, one would argue that that data is utilized to manipulate the source of that behavior. Sure, they want us less human. Yes. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. the whole point, right? Sure. Uh, let's yeah. break you down to a logarithm, mm-hmm. an algorithm, sorry, and, yeah. and, and that's it. It's... Um, so how do you maintain yourself through all of this? Because yes. there are increasingly more avenues of assault mm. from this institution, from this 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 this, this mm. culture world. Yeah, world, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Uh huh. Um, yeah, it's it's tough, yeah. and it's you know when we use the term mainstream, because what you're referring to is mainstream culture. Yeah. Let's take that as a literal term for a second when we reflect on the principle of a stream, a main one, means that it's the point where there is a confluence of all smaller streams, you know, fringe thinking and whatever, all converging into one torrenting movement. And when you get into the mainstream, it's very difficult to stand against its force, to hold the self. And somebody that doesn't have strength and good footing will get swept up in mainstream ideology. And so that's the paradigm that we're talking about. You characterized it beautifully in your question. You described it as being a data-driven, disconnected, um, outcome-orientated sort of system, devoid of any awareness of the why. It's just... Profit-driven, growth-driven, but without any real meaningful question about why are we doing this? Why are we growing? Where are we heading? What am I going to do with all that money? Why, you know, and power? And what happens when I get all this power? What am I to do with all of humanity? (laughs) Poor old Mark Zuckerberg. I hate to be that guy. The burden he carries on his shoulder. The level of responsibility that that young man has is unbelievable. And, yeah, it'd be a real challenge to be him. Anyway, the mainstream is uh, driven by a, a value system that, as I've characterized in different ways through various episodes leading up until now, as a... Uh, outcome-orientated, acquisition-driven, uh, status-orientated system. 
where transactions are governed by your status, the degree that you can acquire, whether it be wealth or whatever, and it operates within that. With little consideration for the why, it's just a relentless pursuit for more and bigger. And it's taking very little consideration for its impact on a subtler, more inclusive, dynamic rea reality, which I'm referring to as our humanity. Our current system is not taking into consideration the impact on our humanity. And when I say humanity, I also include Mother Earth. Our, we, our, our humanity is made up of the Earth. Everything that is, every chemical compound in our body that makes us up is found in raw material in the Earth. We are of the Earth. It, it, you know, we can call ourselves Earthians <laughs> or we can call her humanity. She is the source of humanity. And we relentlessly exploit her and us in pursuit for this sort of <laughs> seemingly aimless, insane, you know, intangible, greater, bigger, more. And what we're recognizing is uh, uh, an unsustainability of this, one, because it's having an impact on our nervous system, the amount of information that is imposed upon us in order for us to react, to generate more data, to give us, give them more nuanced information about how we can be manipulated. Because <laughs> that's essentially all that's happening. It's a transaction of data. You know, expose them to more data, get more interaction. Because what they're doing is stealing, stealing attention. The more attention we give, the more information we're giving. The more information we're giving, the more that sophisticated they become in. When I say they, you know, it's us. We're contributing. We're participating. This is not an us and them dialogue, by the way. I take full responsibility for the role that I play in this and am fully aware of the impact of my choices when I participate in all of this. So let's be really clear here. As I'm talking about this, this is not an us and them argument. This is all of us. We need to take responsibility for what we're participating in. And to do so reconciled, clear, certain about the contribution that we can make that will move us closer to a resolution that enlivens this awakening of our humanity. And this is what I refer to as the paradigm shift. It's rather than a paradigm shift, it's a paradigm expansion. That's probably a better way to describe it, an, a paradigm opening. And the question that you ask is, how do we how do we create that? How do we generate that? How do I sustain my footing whilst in the stream of the torrenting river, the mainstream, the impact? How do I how do I stay true to me despite it pounding me? And the, you know, I, I'd I'd like to propose that a really awesome way to start is through the daily practice of meditation. And that's simply because of what the practice does. And what it does, it, is, it establishes you in a state whereby you can distinguish very clearly the difference between your humanity and anything that violates it. This is the most important starting point. And this is why not many people are doing it.
because everyone is already uncomfortable as it is. And it's easier to distract and self-soothe, you know, like, I'm uncomfortable, let's eat chocolate, let's watch porn, let's gamble, let's buy shoes, let's whatever, you know, whatever it is that we do to <sighs> just to provide us with some a release of endorphins that momentarily acts as a band-aid to cover a gaping wound. That is, you know, the environment is causing gross infection in our heart. And everything you're saying, I, 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 I love and I agree with. And, um, but I'm having a tough time understanding it in a more broader point. Like, what's the marketing behind that, right? Like, what does that world look like, mm. right? The, the, the other world is very easy to describe and very easy to see. I mean, yeah. right? I, mm -hmm. I want that thing. Give it to me. There mm -hmm. it is. And here's the picture of mm -hmm. someone enjoying that. And yeah, this other side that you're describing, it, it's not so clear. No, so, it's so, not so, so clearly definable because it's no. far more dynamic. Yeah. So, yeah. so, but. Okay, it looks so, like, it looks well, like I, this. Yeah, like I, I can kind of see it, I think, and you know, but yeah, like what's what's it look wh like? What's that billboard? Right? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, it looks like this. Yeah, it looks like what we're doing right now. Yeah, it it looks like waking up every morning, sitting up in bed, taking a deep breath, going, "Okay, I exist, and I have an, I, I have power in me. <laughs> I have a responsibility to that power, and I have a choice to." choose to nurture and honor that power or to conform today, I have a choice. And as I step out of bed, the first thing I'm going to do is going to be reflective of that choice. Do I go and splash some water on my face and go and sit on the couch, close my eyes and establish a deep, caring relationship with the present moment, with myself, and my responsibility to bring my best self to the day? Or do I flick out my, my, my cell phone, open up my emails, check Instagram, Facebook, categorize my status by how many likes I didn't get, and then um, consume something without too much awareness of what impact it has on my body? and then just throw myself into the day until I'm exhausted and come home and then engage in some activity of distracting myself. That's, that's one way. Now let's go reverse back <laughs> and look at it down the other pathway, which is wake up, special warning face, sit, meditate, de-excite the nervous system to the degree that you actually sensorially can have the experience of what I'm talking about, experiencing humanity. And the, the most spontaneous expression of our humanity is a deep appreciation for whatever is transpiring in the present moment. It's just natural. In the same way, a little baby doesn't go, I don't like the beige carpet <laughs> or, the, or the red bowl. It just accepts and finds beauty in it the set of keys oh there is beauty in everything when when we are established in our humanity the innocence of our attention sees magic in everything 
the light reflecting off the, the glass, the, the softness and the ambience of the room, whatever it is, there is nectar to be found in everything. And so what you're trying to do is visualize something or, correct me if I'm wrong, conceive of something um, without necessarily having direct experience of what I'm talking about. And this is the challenge that we face. And this is the challenge as a meditation teacher that I face. Talking about meditation, talking about the experience that it elicits in any great detail and people trying to conceive of it on an intellectual level without practicing and trying to reconcile will I or won't I on the level of the intellect. And this is the challenge that we face in trying to get people to sit down and just connect with themselves and, you know, for me, if I, when I tell my story of some of the things that were happening to me as a kid, people go, oh, poor you. <laughs> and I go, well, actually, it was the catalyst for me to wake up. It was the greatest thing that happened. You know, that old cliche statement, diamonds form under pressure. You know, and it's a fascinating thing to look at. You know, it doesn't matter how compelling I, I can be. There are some people that will just go, oh, you know, really love what you said and not do anything about it, not change their behavior in any way whatsoever. And then there are those that don't want to hear a spiel. They're just like, just show me how to do that thing. And they're the people that <laughs> I know that are, were like me, that they're back up against the wall and they were just in such discomfort. The crisis just forced them just to just show me, I'll do it. And it became self-evident. And... This is, the, this is the challenge that we face as, as humanity. Are we going to wait for a crisis to push us hard up against the wall before we make these decisions? Or are we going to exercise a deeper impulse, act on a deeper impulse to prospectively begin introducing things in our lives that cultivate what we know at least stands a greater chance of cultivating more of our humanity, more of our connection to ourselves, more of our awareness of our relationship to everything that we encounter and create a greater artfulness and sophistication in the way in which I choose to interact with that. Meditation is, is fail-safe in delivering progress in that department. To what extent? It varies from person to person but it delivers progress. It delivers enhancement in one's capability to one, be self-aware. And self-awareness isn't enough. Self-awareness gives us the understanding of what's taking place. Who are the players on the field? And then we have to take it, make a choice of who it is where we're going to bet on that day. We're betting on love or we're betting on fear. Am I going to get on the fear team? Am I going to get on the, on the love team? And we, we are confronted with that choice every single day, whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not. The extent that we're aware of it regulates our level of suffering. The extent that we are in denial of it correlates directly with how much we are suffering. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. So is fear biological and love manufactured? Right? Is, is love a biological response 
to the world, like mm. fear is. We know fear is the the the, the release of endorphins um, in response to a situation that mm. you just don't want to deal with, mm-hmm. right? And and we're most people are probably living with that every single moment of their day, and that's why we're having these conversations. Mm. So when I hear you speaking about your prescription, we'll call it, um, you know, and this, um, you know, the prescription is just go to love. It sounds like work, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> it doesn't like fear seems natural. Love does not mm. just from, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just in the context of, of what, 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 what's happening statement. here. Yeah. So again, like, uh, like I'm sitting here going like, how do I sell that to a 17 year old kid? Hmm. Right. Because, you know, you know, I'm 45, like I've been around, I practice some things here and there. I understand what it means to work towards something that I don't quite know. I'll get the benefits for a long time. And really, if we, I see it as if we want to have a profound impact, you know, you want to get people early, Hmm. right? Why wait until they're really damaged at 50? when you can have a more profound impact when they're younger, but at that age, like work just seems like it's just too hard. You know, uh, hmm. did I go too tangential? Like, no, not I, at I, all. Right? I love so, it. So, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so one, I need a definite answer from you. So is love biological or not? Right. So, yes. so that, and then start from there. <laughs> it depends on, um, from what, what sort of school of thought you, um, well, what do you would, think? I mean, what, yeah, what, yeah. What, what's your take? I mean, well, I, I so, want to be inclusive. So, I, you yeah. know, when I when I when I give a response, I, I, what I want to do is include a variety of different perspectives. So, if you're when you're referring to biology, you're referring to um, a, a, a discipline of investigation, which we refer to as science, mm-hmm. that um, has a very specific process by which they can determine yeah. something to be so or not it's measurable yes literally measurable by, so for, by yes by instrumentation yes yeah. yeah and so from that perspective the answer is love is biological there is a biological dimension to the experience of love is love the s- sourced from a, a, a f- on a physiological level is it purely just the interaction of different biochemistry and the release of certain neurotransmitters. My, my personal experience is that the release of tr- certain biochemistry and neurotransmitters is an epiphenomenon. It's a secondary effect. It's like the body prints out something that's happening on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. What is that dimension that is beyond the body? Mm-hmm. A simple term to describe it is the mind. A more pragmatic way of describing it is self-awareness, the principle of awareness. And it's my, it's my experience that my awareness has the power to dictate the biology. My biological response is now primarily determined by an internally referenced awareness state that has characteristics. And those characteristics are identified by a propensity to always seek out connection whereby two parties can have a shared experience of recognition, sharing story, growing, and belonging. And 
what I've noticed in that transaction from that place is a biological response that perpetuates its growth and its intensity. Mm -hmm. And I call that experience love. But it is something that exists beyond the physiological level from my, from my experience. And so I always declare that love is actually our nature. And when I say nature, I mean the spontaneous, instinctive response to the sacredness of life when we are able to behold it. It is our nature. When we behold the sacredness of life, the first thing that pours out of us is love for it, right? And fear is a remarkable, beautiful thing that gets poo-pooed too much that is there designed biologically to protect the instruments that enable us to experience love. Mm. However, when we live in a world that is hyper-stimulating, that has an external influence on our physiology that can arouse the system to the degree that it ceases to function properly. It draws on too much energy. We call this stress. Our internal response to stimulation becomes so heightened, the stress levels become so high that it starts to impede our neurological, our cognitive capability to sustain awareness with that state of love. It flips a switch. Mm. It flicks us into a different function of our nervous system. It's commonly referred to as the fight or flight response or survival mode. So are you saying that um, if, if you can't recognize or experience love, you can't reach a level of self-awareness? So the opposite, yeah. So self-awareness precedes love. Self-awareness, okay. Yeah, so self-awareness must come first. So what is love? Love is two things coming together. Without two things, there is no love. Mm. Two things is, in a, a, as an internally referenced experience, I exist. I being the self, exist is reality. They're the two things. I love myself within reality. I belong mm. to it. This is the first step of love, where I behold the magnificence of my existence and the fact that I participate in it, and it's, it's happening all by itself. <laughs> and wow, it, 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 it's like, oh, my God. And that's why it's, it grows. It, from, gro it grows from, from there. Yeah. And this is why meditation is such an important thing, because it cultivates that. It cultivates that experience that then when I put my attention on you and I go, ooh, you're a lovable guy, let's trade. And then, yeah. ooh. The key point in this conversation that really stood out to me was the notion of self-love being an experience and not an idea. And how through the practice of meditation, we can become familiar with the place where this dynamic of being in relationship with the sacredness of life is an experience of love. And that in itself is what informs us of how we are to be ourselves amidst the noise and the haste of life. Special thanks to our show producer, Trevor Exter, Sean Tomlin, Andrea Stern for letting us 
record in her beautiful space, composer Ali Lieberman and all the One Giant Mind team. If in this episode you felt inspired to want to learn meditation, there's two really great ways that we can recommend. Right now you can download the One Giant Mind app and learn with our 12-step course. But the most potent way to learn is with a teacher. We recommend that you go to the One Giant Mind website, onegiantmind.com, that's the numerical one, giantmind.com, and search out one of our certified teachers. Now, if you're feeling called to become a meditation teacher, be sure to check out the One Giant Mind Meditation Teacher Training Academy. More than ever, we need expertly trained teachers to step out into the world to meet the demand of the growing number of people seeking a simple and effective way to learn how to practice meditation. We hope that you can join us for the next episode.